Welcome to the Spike Feed, your leading Magic the Gathering podcast. What is up? My name is Curtis, and I'm just your typical Spike. On the line with me, my good buddy and producer extraordinaire, uh, Cameron McCoy. Dude, how you doing? Dude, I'm great. Uh, it's been a very busy Sunday, which I'm not used to, uh, but it's good to just be relaxing now and uh, talking magic with you. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not going to be talking much magic, so like... <laughs> I actually had this moment when I was going through the news because the world championship hasn't been decided. Like they're in the finals right now as we're recording this. Um, there is like literally no news. So the magic stuff is going to be brief. Mm. Um, we're going to talk about also a lot of other things that are going on with us, but don't expect a super long magic discussion. I apologize if that's what you're here for, but it was literally me thinking, should we just not do a show this week <laughs> or should we talk about a bunch of other stuff this week? So you're getting the latter. Um, to fill your ear holes, right? Um, Cameron is a big fan of co- content must be produced regularly, right? That's your thing. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so, and you're in the content production business, so here we are. And I'm in the talking business, I guess, so I can talk about just anything. But, Cameron, good news. I guess this is bad <laughs> news. Uh, I've officially been boosted um, and got my third vaccine shot, unfortunately, I do not have Magneto-like powers. Mm. And I, I was really kind of devastated. I spent the whole afternoon trying to pick up a spoon with my hand from across <laughs> the room. Um, nothing uh, occurred. So what a shame. What a yeah, shame. Yeah, I know. Just set your uh, realistic expectations. I know uh, a friend of a friend of a friend heard that you could become magnetic. <laughs> Doesn't appear to be true. Anyway, uh, Cameron, what have you been playing with regards to Magic the Gathering this week? So... Didn't have time this week to play Paper Magic the way that I wanted to, but I have been playing quite a bit um, of Standard, and the deck that I'm playing the most of right now is Blue-Red Control, and I have been on a tear, dude, like a heater. Like, I have been... This deck is such hot fire that even in the hands of somebody as unskilled as me, I feel like I've got game. Uh, I've even mm-hmm. got game against much of the mirror matches whenever I play against that. But, like, this is the sort of deck that I feel like just eats mono green, green white, bug, uh, like all those other decks for breakfast. Um, mainly because you have really good counter removals or counter spells, excuse me. And then the removal package with Burning Hands is just completely unfair against um, the green base deck. So Burning Hands deal 2 damage to Creature Planeswalker. If it's a green permanent, you deal 6 damage. So it pretty much wipes away everything that is a problem for you. I can hold up a Goldspan Dragon against the Squirrel uh, that, you know, is like probably like one of these little engines that really nets, I think, the green to- mono green decks a lot of advantage. Um, I can't remember its name to start. Tosky? Is that Tosky, what you're talking about? Yeah, that squirrel. Um, indestructible, 1-1. One, one. Every time a creature attacks and deals damage, they get to draw a card. So just with the creature package that I have, I'm able to block that and deal with everything else. Um, this deck is great. Uh, to the point where, I know we had this conversation last week, it's even more apparent this week than ever. All runs Epiphany. It's on borrowed time. Like, it's gonna happen. Like, it's just, I don't like playing it. It's a necessary thing. And I know my opponents 
hate it. Hate it, hate it. Yeah, so I've actually, we've kind of reached that apex point where I cast it in people insta-scoop. Yep. When yep. the game is definitely not over. So that means you know they're hitting the frowny face on the did you have fun this game. And uh, again, I still think this standard is much better than the ones we've had for a while. Um, but like you, I don't think it's a if or if it should. I think it's a it's going to happen like next week kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of hoping that they would kind of do this before the World Championship because I <coughs> I posted the link here. But if you look at the World Championship decks, a lot of them are Epiphany decks. There's even like these blue-white aggro decks now mm -hmm. that are playing like one or two Epiphanies just to have them. Um, so it's not just a question of should you play blue to counter the Epiphany, but almost everybody that has blue is like, why not just put at least one in, you know? It's not really going to hurt anything. Um, so I've been playing the Grixis deck that's been the breakout from Worlds, but it's really <coughs> not that big of a stretch. Like, you're adding some duress, some instant speed kill for the green or the white decks. Um, I know Mono White has seen a slight bump um, because it can actually put on the pressure with, like, Luminarch Aspirin and some of these other things. Um, but here's what I'm finding is at least where I'm at in the competition ladder, I'm not playing people that are playing quote the best deck. I don't play against blue red that often. Like it is the best deck. I feel like people know this, but they're still trying to make other things work mm -hmm. where it was like in the fires of invention standard, especially you were playing the mirror. I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot. And I feel like that with bug ultimatum, you would play against rogues or bug ultimatum more than half the time, right? Whereas this, I feel like I'm not playing against it and people are getting frustrated when I do play Auburn's Epiphany. Uh, the Grixis deck also plays uh, Leer, which is the Pass and Flames creature. I'm still not super in love with that uh, hmm. effect like I thought I would be. Oftentimes I just find that it turns on their removal and whenever I'm playing either Blue-Red or Blue-Black or Grixis, I really want no creatures, like at all. I just, I'm not really in the market for that. I'll find a way to win. I have Manlands. One of them has Ward. Probably going to find a way to finish this off. I need answers and I need card advantage spells. And I find that whenever I'm playing it, and maybe I'm doing it wrong, but I just want more Memory Deluge. And so, like I said, I've been adding uh, Behold the Multiverse, like two copies to add, uh, act as fifth and sixth copy of Memory Deluge just because... I always want to make sure on turn four, I'm hitting some form of card advantage engine. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, I mean, mono white, mono white can still pit me. I've been hit by mono red a couple times. Like, it's not as locked down. But what I'm going to posit to you is, now you're in charge. You know Auron's Epiphany is going to get banned, Cameron. Is that the only thing that should go? Because the mono green stuff has definitely fallen off. Like, there are some mm -hmm. of the people in Worlds, but, like, if you look at the metagame breakdowns, the Ren and Six Asika's Chariot boogeyman that was, what was that, two weeks ago, everyone was complaining about, seems to have really fallen off. Yeah. I think everybody's prepared for that. Um, and I still think, like, those two cards in combination are, like, one of the best things you can be doing. Ban-worthy? No. I don't think so. I think... Unless I'm just like completely missed 
um, calculating what Blue Red or All Runs Epiphany specifically is doing to keep that deck into check. I, I don't think it's that case. Um, and I think it opens up like you were talking about. Things like Mono White, Mono Red, those are like two legitimately pretty decent decks. There's some other green X type decks that I think are pretty good that are also using um, Asika's Chariot into Renin 6, 7, 8, 9, whatever that one is called. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's ban worthy yet. I don't think we're even close to that, especially because of um, the results that we're seeing kind of pour in from the pro, si- pro scene. Yeah, I also. Okay, this is going to be a little bit of a wild opinion, but here goes. I think the bigger problem that we're going to face once Epiphany is gone is it's not so much Asika's Chariot and Renin Six, Seven, whichever one it is. It's going to be Faceless Haven decks because you are going to be so. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like the Mutavault effect, right? Everybody's going to get pushed into monocolor. Like, look at this mana. The mana's great to go three colors, right? Mm-hmm. But <laughs> still, by far and away, the best man land, the easiest man land to work with is a snow one. And we've seen already mono green, mono white, mono red are effective um, outlets for this. So if you're going to play aggro, why would you play a second color? Faceless Haven is just a more efficient use of your time, mm-hmm. right? And it's not that big of a cost. I mean, I think Mono Green has risen to the top because, yes, Asika's Chariot and Ren and Seven. But there's also that element of you can play the Mono Green Manland in Lair of the Hydra plus Faceless Haven at basically zero cost. Mm-hmm. I think when they were designing these things, they thought, okay, well, people are going to be pushed into playing the regular Manlands or Faceless Haven, but that's not what's going to happen, right? I feel like Snowlands are kind of like, you know, they're, they're always Snow is always going to find a way to break the format. Hmm. Storm has this reputation. Snow doesn't. I don't know how that's happened. Maybe because Snow was just so shatteringly bad in Cold Snap and it's like original outing. But like people are just going to utilize and, and it's the same with Mono Red, right? You're going to use Den of the Bugbear plus Faceless Haven. You're going to have eight man lands for a monocolored deck, which is absurd, which is absurd. So anyway, I, I do want to caution people with that. We might be headed towards a you're playing a two-color control, or you're playing a monocolor aggro. Um, there is still the combo with Teferi in that blue-white deck. I don't know that that will break through. Mm, yeah. It no. could. It could. But we're still, I think, a few combos short. So, anyway, Cameron, any other magic opinions you'd like to drop on us? Because I just, it is literally just standard. It's literally, we're in the, recording this in the middle of the World Championships. That's it. There's not yeah. much else to say, man. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. You, I feel like you could drop a hundred bucks, play that mono white deck, and probably, you know, make that back over the course of the next three three months. You know, so it's still good. It's a it's a decent standard. There's still playable decks out there. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, dude. If you and I don't know if mono green is the budget deck. But I'm I'm fairly certain that mono green will exist post whatever. But even if we're in at seven. Or Asika's Cherry go away. That deck is going to be just fine. Yeah. And Mono White, there is no way on earth they're going to ban anything from that, right? No. Like, I'll probably eat my words, but there's just, it just seems crazy. It just seems insane to do that. All right. So, Cameron, we have two video games and a film to talk about. (laughs) 
So that's what we're going to fill up the second half of this show with. So we'll be right back. All right, Cameron. So let's start with this James Bond film, which you you went to the theater to see, right? Yeah, this is a... Well, this isn't my first theater experience uh, since the pandemic, but it's been my wife's first theater experience since the pandemic. So we went together. Um, lots of mixed feelings about the latest James Bond. Um, Daniel Craig is one of my I, – I, him and Pierce Brosnan, probably because I grew up with Pierce Brosnan, and then mm-hmm. I really liked what Casino Royale was doing <laughs> To the point where, like, yeah, Daniel Craig, he's great. He's a charming guy, good actor. Uh, good. The issue is just like, and we, we've talked about this, every James Bond, um, after a certain point, the absurdity of the plots, like the convoluted nature of, like, whatever the villain is doing in order to get James Bond into a particular situation where Bond would just literally have to do anything else and the villain's plan would just evaporate. Um, that's the sort of thing that really I struggle with with Bonds um, is just, I know some people like that, but getting Bond to an island to do X is sometimes so convoluted that it, like that suspension of disbelief is just completely removed from me. I'm like, I come on, be a better writer figure out a better way for him to get to X. Um, and that's really in keeping with like Skyfall, whatever the last one was. Spectre? Spectre, that right? that's right. And now this one where the villains just, I don't know. I'm, I don't like the way that they contrive the plots. Um, that being said, Daniel Craig is great, very charming. He's gritty still. Um, there's a lot of referential stuff to former or past bonds with like Craig, I'm sorry, with, with Connery. Um, all that stuff is great. Um, and this is the last one with Daniel Craig and they do an interesting send off, which, um, I don't want to get into spoilers or anything like that, but it's very not in keeping with a bond film. Interesting. I would... Be uh, curious to see who is next and what they decide to do with it. Um, I I know a lot of people uh, want the guy from What We Do in the Shadows to be uh, <laughs> uh, as a comic bond, a comical bond. But anyway, um, I I don't know that we've really talked about like as a young man. I was obsessed with James Bond movies, mm. uh, so I've watched every single one except the new one. Uh, they were all at my local public library. Okay. And so I check them out over and over and over again. Um, and so I've seen every single one but that, but the, the current one. And I, a few things are true about me. Number one, I'm a huge Roger Moore apologist. Some of his, like The Spy Who Loved Me, I think are all-time classics. And I love his campiness, right? But I was also in this unique category of I grew up with this stuff. I knew it inside out. And whenever I saw the first Austin Powers, I viewed it as a Bond spoof, not as a, um, you know, just as a silly movie. Like, mm-hmm. you can kind of get both elements out of it. And I'm, I'm making Austin Powers sound like it was this, you know, <laughs> layered onion of a, of a film experience. But a lot of my buddies didn't necessarily, you know, sure. jive with that element of it. That, like, Dr. Evil was a spoof on 
Yeah, you know, the dude from the Connery yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, that being said, my favorite Bond movie is GoldenEye, and I think that is the most Bond movie in that it is so over the top. The plot is kind of basic mm-hmm. and easy to grasp. Yes, it's ridiculous, and I, I would put it on the level of like a current Fast and Furious movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. this setup is so absurd and so over the top, and we're just going to have fun. And while I loved Casino Royale and Daniel Craig's kind of desire to make it grittier and more in keeping with what would be the Bond, you know, original Bond novels, yeah. the big problem that I have with it is, is they really want to make it like the Bond cinematic universe, and keep trying to weave threads through these things and make each consequence, each subsequent villain a bigger mastermind. And you, you were saying before we got on the show, they're trying to make everybody the Joker. Mm, yeah. Right? And it's, it's okay for them to just be a bad guy with a uh, bad guy plan. Mm-hmm. Right? And Bond has just got to be the guy that stops them. Right? Um, I, this is a very, very, very niche reference, but follow me here. The last Bond movie, which I think was Spectre, I had the exact same problem with that that I did with the Jason Momoa Conan movie, right? The actor you picked is perfect for this role. But then you've detached yourself so far from what the actual source material is. Yeah. And in Bond's case, there's two separate source materials, right? There's a super pulpy films, but then there's also kind of the gritty spy novels. There's a whole bunch of novels out after that written by other people too, right? Um, but it's just like when I watched it and they got into like where Bond came from, all the stuff with him, there was all this speculation like, you know, what is the origin of 007? It's like, man, I don't need all that. Yeah. I, I need Bond jumping a, a, a dam with a sports car. Yeah. That's what I need. You know what I mean? And I kind of feel the same way whenever they get into Wolverine's origins. It's like, dude, that's not... You're killing the mystique when you do that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I'll see it. I'll probably have problems with it. But I love Craig as Bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think with Casino Royale, that was probably the best overall cast they've had um, yeah. in a Bond film. Yeah. And uh, it's just like they've lost their way since then. And... I know the writer's strike somehow affected this arc of Bond movies, too. Like, one or two of them they had to write, like, as they were shooting without actual writers, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the in the credits, I noted that there were four writers attached to this. And that doesn't always bode well with, a, you know, these types of movies. Sometimes a singular vision is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah, especially when it comes to a writer, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and I, somebody pointed this out on Twitter, like, Bond movies shouldn't be realistic. Like, he's a, supposed to be a spy, but, like, literally everyone knows who he is. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing should be, again, over the top and ridiculous. Um, so there, there's that element of this week. But, Cameron, the reviews I've been hearing for Metroid Dread have been so effusive, so over the top. Um, Digital Foundry said it was one of the best games of the decade. <laughs> oh, Wow. Um, which, you know, it's only 2021, so maybe that's not that big of an accomplishment. Yeah, I guess that's a low low hurdle first, right? <laughs> but, you know, the be- one of the best games of the last few years. Hey, I'll take that. Yeah. Uh, what do you say, man? Dude, uh, so I had just finished Deathloop last week as well. Um, very rewarding game. 
so incredibly good and it's already like you know absolutely going to be my i thought going to be my first top game of the year um <laughs> for 2021 and then comes metroid dread on friday and i have been playing it non-stop i mean like i've been picking it up so much and this is something that i forget about myself with metroids my very first metroid experience was metroid 2 and then it was i went completely out of order so i played metroid 2 Loved it uh, on the Game Boy. I was a kid playing that. Uh, and then it was um, Samus Returns on the Game Boy Advance. So I kind of went in like a weird backwards way to finally get to Super Metroid. And I love Super Metroid. Um, but it, and it, it's like a testament to the Super Nintendo. But there's a lot of like aging things about that that just didn't always translate well to me. Um, so I've just never really felt that attached to that. This Metroid on the Switch is everything that I want in a Metroid. Punishingly hard, and I mean punishingly hard. Um, tight, twitchy combat, um, and just an overall mood that really gives you the sense of like isolation and like you are just a bounty hunter alone on this planet facing, you know, insurmountable odds. And they deliver on every single one of those things in just a beautifully rendered environment on the Switch. Like, it, it looks so, so good. Um, especially, like, I play it in the handheld mode and I like that, but full 1080 on the on the TV, it looks so good. Like, it's, like they've just mastered that 2D environment stuff. The Vistas are really, really good. Um, the... The one thing that is kind of interesting and like takes me for uh, through me for a loop is like these EMMIs is what they're called. They're the robots that essentially have a one hit kill and they have like a sonar and they're constantly pinging and like they get and there's like a little alien blip that comes closer and closer and closer. So, you know, that it's going to maybe attack you and um, you get tools along the way to kind of navigate the world as these things are kind of stalking you. Um, but it, it is like one of the most challenging things and completely reverses how um, I play a Metroid game, which is much more of just like you go in a room, guns are blazing, and you don't even think about it, right? You're just, it's just twitchy, twitchy mechanics. And to completely reverse that and go super slow and stealth, essentially, um, gives it a sense of like a horror game that it feels kind of like a resident evil or something like that, where you're just, you have to survive. You're not going to survive if you get caught. Um, and it makes for some like real white knuckle sort of, uh, video gaming, you know? So this is very good. It's a very good video game. Um, and it's video gamey video game. Like it is a video game. Yeah. And I would say the, the previous Metroids, especially primes, the tension came from go arriving at a place and feeling unprepared or maybe that you weren't supposed to be there, mm. right? Mm -hmm. Like that you might get overwhelmed with what's in the room. But you were, you're right. You're just like, you're going, right? You're mm -hmm. opening the door and blap, 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 you know? Um, and uh, I got to be honest with you. I am so behind on my gaming right now that that's why I didn't pick this up. I'm probably going to play it over Thanksgiving or winter break. Uh 
I definitely was planning on playing it before then. I haven't played any of the 2D Metroids that came out on... Uh, was it Game Boy Advance in there or was another one on DS, right? Um, or was one on 3DS? It, whatever, point yeah. being. Because there was like uh, Zero Mission. Zero Mission, yeah. There's a remake of Metroid 2. And I I should pull this up. I mean, I, I could just Google it. But Metro, to me, Metroid Prime's kind of exist in a different bucket, though. Yep. Um, and that being said, Metroid Prime 1, I think, is one of the top five games ever made. Like, it's, it's like, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I like Metroid, Super Metroid as well, quite a bit. Um, like you, I kind of cut my teeth on the series on Metroid 2. A buddy of mine loaned that. I remember it was a family, well, my dad had to go on a business trip, so we just kind of hung out at the hotel uh, in Dallas, Texas. And a buddy of mine loaned me a Game Boy with Metroid 2 and the... Um, I can't, Whatever the the game tips magazine was for oh, it, sure. with the, yeah. the maps Nintendo and everything, because otherwise, yeah, yeah, it wasn't Nintendo Power. It okay. was whatever the game tips thing was with Game Pro. Um. Anyway, point being is, I played through it, fell in love with it, killed a bunch of batteries, upset my parents. Um. Anyway, so I I love that series as well, but I just want to be able to commit fully to it. I feel like I've neglected Deathloop significantly, which is probably arguably more of a game for me however uh that didn't stop me from buying some new stuff cameron i might have a problem um i received a gift card as a thank you from a from a buddy and for helping them out at work whatever so basically i decided to buy myself the castlevania advance collection which is a huge blind spot for me so castlevania advance collection contains games that were on the game boy advance um, and came out after Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Uh, and if you are uninitiated, these games share a huge amount of DNA with Metroid. In fact, it's kind of interesting how much both games... Like, a lot of times I think people mistakenly say, well, there was Super Metroid and then Symphony of the Night took all that stuff and put it in Castlevania. Well, the Castlevania series was kind of evolving that way already. Castlevania two came out before Super Metroid, and that was also a nonlinear, mm-hmm. you know exploration experience um though obviously not as good as super metroid so symphony of the night is also while we're talking about top five games of all time i think symphony of the night is better than super metroid i think it is the best expression of that style of game still um and all these basically this weird series where the game was a huge hit one of the most critically acclaimed games ever and then they took it off consoles yeah and they just put it on portables and so all the subsequent uh, subsequent sequels, like five of them, six of them, I don't know, it's a lot. This collection does not include DS games, came out on portable systems. And I never played any of them. <laughs> and this collection plays, it weirdly has the Super Nintendo Castlevania. And then it has three Game Boy Advance Castlevanias, which are incredibly highly regarded. And in the used market actually started to sell for quite a bit for Game Boy Advance games, like, given that $60, $80 range kind of thing. Um, Here's the problem, Cameron. It is really well done. You can rewind, you can save states, you can do all those things that we like to do with classic games. Um, I've noticed pretty substantial input lag on one of the games, Mm -hmm. and I don't know if it's the emulation or that's how the game originally played, but... I don't know how often this happens. I get it. 
the Xbox and the Switch buttons are in different spots. I understand that. Please put the action on the same button location, not the same button letter. Okay? Because it reverses it. Yep. So now I'm playing Castlevania, and the buttons are flipped because they've decided that the A button is always jump regardless of where the A button is, Cameron. So they've reversed the jump in, and I, I can go in and switch it, but I've run into this. The only people that have done this right are the Dark Souls team that put <laughs> Dark Souls on Switch. They were the only ones that made, kept the buttons the same. Mm. Everybody else, I played Assassin's Creed on Switch, and the buttons were wrong. I'm like, why, why, do, why is this happening? It's so infuriating. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Have you ever experienced this? Oh, you know dude. What I'm yeah, about? yeah. Like, I mean, your brain is hardwired into a very specific muscle memory, right? And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't care if it's the A or whatever. It's the button on the right. I want that to be whatever button that action button is, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't know who thought this was a good idea, but now, like, what would be whip is jump and jump is whip. And <laughs> I have died so many times because I have literally 30 years experience of having it the other way. That being said, it's 20 bucks for four Castlevania games. I would say that the thing that while Metroid does a great job with ambiance, I think the Castlevania games are unassailable in terms of the art design and the music mm-hmm. how it goes together like metroid is very much more like light on the music metroid prime has great music i'm not trying to take away from that but i think the castlevania soundtrack is kind of like i mean almost up there with halo in terms of all-time iconic soundtracks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and then like the castlevania series also leans much heavier into role-playing so you can kind of get into like i'm building this guy this way or whatever but I would say, all this aside, if you have never played any of these, definitely find a way to play Symphony of the Night. I believe, I, I know for a fact you can play it on Xbox One, Xbox Series. I believe you can play it through PlayStation 4, hmm. but that is 10 of the best dollars that you can spend. <laughs> it is yeah. about as perfect as a game could be. And unlike many games, like once you get through the intro and you're actually playing as Alucard in Castlevania Symphony of the Night, it has such a confidence to it, like it knows how good it is, and it knows that it's a special game, and it's just incredibly sad that that series was allowed to just flounder and die on yeah. portables. So, Anyway, Cameron, anything else to add to our game bonanza? Uh, that's it. I mean, like, uh, Metroid, good. Deathloop, really, really, really good. Um, I'm desperate for you to finish that, or anybody to finish that, so I can... Uh, Talk about how you did your loadout and sequencing to get the perfect loop. Uh, really, really into it. Did you ever get invaded? No, I've, I've been playing it on like the friends only mode and like my Steam account. I don't have any friends who are playing this right now. I can think of nothing that I want less than more friends on my video game system. <laughs> like, right? No thanks, man. No thanks. All right, Cameron. Well, if someone would like to get a hold of you and talk James Bond, Metroid, or Castlevania, where could they find you? It's on Twitter, at Cameron underscore McCoy. And I'm at Curtis Now. Our official show feed is at SpikeBeatMTG. We will check you guys next week.
Dude, I've started making biscottis. Really? They're super easy and delicious. I like biscotti. Biscotti. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, they're really good. Yeah. I've never actually done like homemade though. It's like five ingredients. You just got to bake it twice. You got to bake it, slice it, and then bake it again. Hmm. And then Bob's your uncle. You got biscottis. 